0: For August 22nd, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 738. So much work went into this, but why? Yes, it is, in fact, overthinking it. And I am, in fact, Peter Fenzel. Matthew Rather is still hunting the predator. Uh, The prey has become the predator. I believe the predator has fled across four states and Rather is pursuing him on horseback. So uh, when Rather kills the predator and returns with the trophy, we will let you know. But for now, the rest of the overthinkers are without our stalwart captain. What are we going to do? Thankfully, we have a big tradition that we always do everybody knows of course we have smarter fun together we're we're smart funny friends on the internet and everybody knows that when it hits august 22nd every year the overthinking it podcast announces its number one song of the summer and we've got a great <laughs> panel <laughs> to talk about the song of the summer so uh, mark lee's with us how are you doing mark I'm doing great. We're going to talk about the song of the summer. You boogieing down? Have you had a hot summer full of hot tunes? That's right. On the beach, blasting my tunes. We've had a severe drought full of hot tunes. Jordan! Jordan (laughs) Stokes is here, too. Here I am. Here you are for the song of the summer!
1: Yeah, I, I always love this summer, this episode, when we put our stamp on it and tell people what the official song of the summer for overthinkers has turned out to be.
0: Indeed. Really, we all crave institutions. That's really what this all boils down to is just the only thing people really trust is websites and podcasts that tell them the things that are the best. It is they they go unquestioned. There will be no debate. There'll be no uh, there'll be no doubt. Utter confidence. We are uh, it's like we are riding a dragon flying into King's Landing to declare our reign. Uh, Our authority is unmatched. Uh, surely we'll talk about that show at some point, but not today, because today we are talking about Mark Lee. What's your number one uh, nominee for Song of the Summer?
2: I'll tell you what, Pete, I got yeah? a little throwback here. Um, it's actually from 2013, but the sound might as well be from 1993, if you know what I mean. It is a real banger of a uh, power pop Kind of pop punk, really guitar driven, speedy song. I am, of course, referring to the theme from Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol! The beat there on the double. Yes, that's right. Beat that. According to my finger, which is really on the pulse of the of Youth of America, uh, is my pick for the song of the summer 2022, the Paw Mark, Patrol we, theme song.
0: We know the number one criteria for the song of the summer is how many times you've been forced to listen to it in a row <laughs> by somebody else who lives in your house and doesn't pay rent. What's that number for you? For by, by, by a young person as well,
2: right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The youth, the youth culture.
0: <laughs> yes. Really, it's the youth that picks the song of the summer, not us oldies. That's, no, that's why. No, definitely not, no. And so you how many guys, times like, do you think you've listened the Paw Patrol theme in a row involuntarily uh, I, this
2: summer? How how high can I count be? <laughs> that, that, that is how many times.
0: All right, so all right, times. all right. Like for for those of you who
1: don't have young children, you, we have to kind of explain what that experience is like. So imagine that Elvis Duran from Z100 lives in your attic. And he only comes down to demand that you play the Paw Patrol theme song. And every now and then, he poops his pants.
0: That's basically (laughs) it. So it's just like Jane Eyre, is what you're saying. (laughs) In in the meaningful ways, yes. Yes, excellent, excellent. Yeah, this is – it's a really fundamentally transformed relationship with music that you happen to have. You see, all of our people on the panel today are parents of small children. And parents of small children, of course, defer to the small children in most of their listening. And the small children are tyrants. (laughs) Jordan, what is is your number one song of the summer as calculated by the number of times in a row you've been forced to listen to it involuntarily by some— Someone who lives in your house and doesn't pay rent. Yeah. Oh man. So
1: do you all know? Do you all know the uh,
0: the movie Sing?
1: Yes. 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 Yeah, right? Of course. Sing is a good movie. It's a, it's an interesting movie in many ways. I feel like it's the most accurate depiction of the music industry that anyone has ever come up with because there's this, like, impresario who's getting this big concert together and all of the the various performing acts have these struggles in their lives and they manage to get up there and sing on stage and at the end of the day, the impresario makes, like, a lot of money and all of the performers go back to those problems in their lives which have not changed or been solved at all. But anyway, uh, in Sing there is a performance of the Classic Elton John song, I'm Still Sanding by a gorilla. Uh, and the version of this that is in sing is really good although maybe not quite as good as elton john's version and the version of it that my two-year-old sings when he goes over to the piano and pounds any random key and goes i'm still standing yeah 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 i'm still standing yeah yeah yeah
0: forever is my song of the summer Man, don't y'all remember when you were young and you used to get to choose the song of the summer by hitting things and yelling at people? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I joke, but of course, this is this is true to life. I, do you guys want to say anything about we have a lot of songs that we've lined up to talk about today, because certainly the cho- the choice. the the choosing process for the song of summer is elaborate There's a bunch of rule it's like the american song contest you see we we scour the country for the songs that our children force us to listen to and then we put them all in a room for several weeks and then we make them play over and over again but pretend each time it's different and then we pick a winner at the end arbitrarily uh but yes 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 i would say that uh to add to this first round, the one I'll throw on the pile, I think the song that I've probably listened to the most on repeat this summer has got to be – and maybe this is one that other people resonate with too – is the pop punk uh, – what's the guy's name? The former lead singer of Fall Out Boy? Mark, you also had heard about this one. Oh, sure, and I'm
2: totally blanking on his name right now. Um, but yes, this is the lead singer of, of, uh, of Fall Out Boy um, who does Patrick
0: the Spider-Man Stump? music. Is that right? Patrick Stump. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So Patrick Stump, of course, is the voice of Spidey. Uh, on the, uh, the theme song and also the get ready song that pads out the relatively short episodes of Spidey and his amazing friends, which you can watch on either Disney Jr. or Disney Plus, uh, which is honestly a pretty, that Spidey and his friends in and of itself is a very elegant property in terms of what it accomplishes by putting out there by, uh, very simply splitting up the persona of Spider-Man into these three characters without, uh, without having to have a multiverse kind of situation or anything, just by referring to the one who's by default known as Spider-Man as Spidey to a bunch of mm. people who have never seen him before. They then never call him Spider-Man. They just call him Spidey. So there's three people who have the Spider-Man logo, right? It's Spidey, Ghost Spider, and Spin. So that's that's uh, Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales. Uh, and that's a great – have you watched that show? That's a pretty great show. I know we should focus on the music, but um, it, it's like the Green Goblin and Rhino, like – Perform everyday nuisances like stealing birthday cakes or making things dirty. At one point, I think the Green Goblin enthralls a bunch of pigeons to knock over people's chess pieces. It's and then they use science to fix things. It's great, uh, but it has this <laughs> like jamming Fallout Boy esque theme song. Uh, go webs, go is is the refrain that uh, I think I, I certainly have it. On, I have a three song playlist on Spotify that just has two of the Spidey songs and then a Spidey song. From the Disney, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that my little guy wants me to play over and over and over again whenever we drive anywhere.
2: If Um, you're not so familiar with this, but you but you have heard the Paw Patrol theme song, which is statistically more um, uh, more possible, which we'll we'll talk about some (laughs) of the kind of the the exposure outside of, you know, parenthood in a second. I'm Um,
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Did you say more possible? (laughs) (laughs) Would you say it's a posse in distribution or is
2: it? (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be a rough episode, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, song of the Summer.
2: No, I, I was gonna say that like it, it shares the same kind of guitar-driven pop, power pop, pop punk, um, sonic palette as the mm-hmm. Paw Patrol music, um, but it is um, like a notch above in terms of artistic quality. Um, oh, that's not really Spidey that's song. Really the Spidey the Spidey music, yeah. That's really not much of a knock actually on the pop Patrol music. So like let, let's get into it, right? Like like I will just propose that we. Um, Use the Paw Patrol theme song as the, um, you know, a, a, as a first close read, and also as a way to frame like, you know, uh, why you should care about this if you're not a parent, if you don't have small children in your lives, like, like really in your lives to the point where they, you know, you get, um, uh, get to listen to this song over and over again on repeat, like we all have. Um, so first of all, right, like Paw Patrol is like enough of a mainstream, uh, widely known pop culture thing such that it has been parodied on Saturday Night Live, on Colbert, and and plenty of other places, right? It's like a reference, like, you should get it kind of, like, on the lines of Sesame Street. Like, would you all at least agree, like, at that level, like, you know, Paw Patrol is very widely known among the non-parent set?
0: I would think so. I certainly read enough think pieces about it being fascistic. No, Jordan, go ahead.
1: (laughs) 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 I was just going to say, I was just going to say, yes, like, it's it's part of the zeitgeist. Once Once you make it into Saturday Night Live, people who have never watched Paw Patrol still kind of get Paw Patrol.
2: yeah 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 yeah. um so with that established then right uh if you're not a parent but you want to know what's going on with the culture it helps to know something about these shows helps to know um about the theme songs as well and about what they are uh, the function that they're accomplishing within the show and uh what they also they're accomplishing within within the minds of three year olds in america um because if you care about our future which you should um, you should care about how our three-year-olds are getting indoctrinated um, through the through the the, the ripping guitar music
0: <laughs> yeah. of the Paw Patrol theme song. Yeah, I was going to start with the most serious question of all for you, Mark, which mm-hmm. is: Is the Paw Patrol theme song ska? No, no. Okay, it's it's, it's it, there. There is a ska song
2: in the Paw Patrol uh, <laughs> sonic palette, though. You know, Jordan, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I actually uh, don't
0: watch Pop Patrol, so I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the theme song is like is power pop, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not for me not having listened to it. That's me listening to it and not re- not really knowing that sort of bum pom 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 right? That that yeah, comes out front is that, and I'm talking about the drum beat there. The 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 sort of the in, the there's not really a backbeat to it, I guess. It just sort of goes 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 goes. Yeah, uh, as and, a so, as a know. Green Day song. Would. Yeah. Yes, oh, yes, yes, the yes. Jimmy
2: Eat World or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's um, right.
0: Jimmy Eat World. That's a good touch point for it. That's what that so, sounds like, yeah, as, as yeah, the yeah, Paw yeah. Patrol are eating the world, yeah. <laughs> indeed, Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Fenris Wolf eating the sun. Uh, OK, so, so so it's this driving power pop. And would you locate this in – you said 1990-something? Yeah, I'd give it like late 90s, maybe early late 2000s. Late 90s, early 2000s, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so like green, you said later Green Day, um, or I guess like – not later Green Day, but just not Longview Green Day.
2: Right? It could be Longview Green Day as well, too. Okay. okay. Um, um,
0: so, I like, guess there's
1: maybe
2: there's a, just to put this idea out there: like, there's, there's a generational thing going on, right? Which is that, um, you know, the, the the parents who are listening to this and Paw Patrol, the show came out. What did I say? 2012, 2013, uh, around then, right? Yeah. So it is totally plausible that parents of children um, at that time, um, you know, listened to. Um, the power pop, pop punk uh, that I just described, you know, when they were teenagers, right? And so it's like, oh, you know, how do we make this like somewhat palatable um, to the parents? Um, let's make it this. Um, although I don't think that fully a- a- explains the, the the phenomenon and like you know the the sonic palette uh, of what's going on in these shows. Um, Jordan, you were trying to get in there.
1: I was just going to say that, like, to to go back to that question of why should you care about this if you're not a parent is like, all right, so say you're not a parent, but generationally you're still around where we are. Like, you remember that day in high school when for the first time you heard Green Day or you heard Jimmy Eat World or one of these bands and like, yeah, maybe maybe now you look back on that and there's some parts of it that were silly, but man, that first time that it came on and like you heard that guitar and you hear you heard that voice and you heard that sort of feel as it like rushes into the chorus and you thought like wait a minute this is this is my emotional life why has music not been like this before yeah, yeah. like music music can be like this culture can be like this the world is just open to you and if you were wondering like whatever happened to that it's on paw patrol <laughs> <laughs> <You're>
2: <laughs> and also, to the that, also <laughs> that feeling that like anything is possible and that the world is open to you and that you really feel alive I I think that in the three-year-old mind that, that you feel that way every time a song comes on,
0: which is why they <laughs> ask you over and over and over. Is, that a, is there a term for that in music, Jordan? I feel like I know how I would talk about it in literature, but the notion that the music has some sort of essential quality that relays an emotional uh, state of being that the uh, – because I would imagine it would be something that would have been debunked or rebunked over time by people. But you know you're a young – you're playing music like this for a young kid. And the idea being that the driving energy of the song mirrors the emotional relationship of the young kid with things like running around without pants on or like uh, uh, running around with pants on either of those two things. Uh, But is is that a is there a a term of art for that or a way to talk and think about it in in uh, Sonic's terms? Yeah, I mean, I don't know
1: if there's really a a way to talk and think about it. Well, there's certainly not one word for it, but it is an idea that seems to, like, come and go and has come and gone for for hundreds and hundreds of years. So that, like, you know, you, you go into, like, the 17th century to find this, where people get really excited with the idea that, oh, like, we've cracked the code. This emotional state uh, correlates one to one to this particular musical gesture. You can even trace this back into like discussions of music in Plato and Aristotle and stuff like that, right? And uh, th- th- people who are in the throes of one of these kind of um, I-, I don't know quite what you would call it. Again, there's not really a word. Th- these places where they feel like they've they've cracked it and they know exactly how music compares to emotion. I guess to them it was very convincing. But uh, for all of my life, you know, all the time. That we have been alive. People who study music seriously have not given that idea the time of day. And it seems just like. Breathtakingly stupid when you're on the other side of it, because of course, like the, the emotional lives of people have not changed that much over centuries, but the music has changed rather dramatically. And the notion that you can go back to uh, to something like, you know, the Dorian mode, and uh, and Plato <laughs> says like, ah, yes, like this is proper masculine music for warriors, right? <laughs> You're kind of like, uh, so this notion that what the Paw Patrol music meant to us, what power, what power pop, what pop punk meant to us when we were. Like in high school, and just like in the thick of it, when it comes to the the way that hormones uh, play havoc with your psyche as a teenager, um, like the, the idea that what that meant to us emotionally is now what this um, this music means to a three year old emotionally uh, is just like. Is just dumb. Like it's not necessarily the case. For all that, yes, running around with your pants off does seem to feature heavily in both in both worlds. Like <laughs> music makes uh, this kind of it does fit into culture. It does connect to your emotions, but those connections are kind of like bespoke and they're not really reproducible. So what this music is doing now, even though sonically, like it's really credible. It, it could be if you had put it on. Uh, I wouldn't say that it would have, like, really played for the radio stations that I used to listen to in high school, because it does have lyrics about Adventure Bay and Paw Patrol. But, like, I bet if you took it to France and played it there, right, and they're just like, oh, this is an American song. I don't know what the words are about, but, man, it, it slaps. Like, it would be completely creditable. <laughs> and yet, like... But the, the French that, also do love
2: dogs, just to point
1: this out But uh, the, the, the notion that... Um, Like whatever it was that let this kind of um, like poppy punk rock connect to culture in this real vital way like that has gone and something new has come uh, in the form of our small children. And now it's plugging into to that cultural sort of socket and it fits just as well. So that's one of the things that I think is interesting about this is that like musically there's nothing wrong with it, you know uh it, it 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 absolutely could have been the anthem of the summer of like you know 1998 or something like that and yet culturally, there's everything wrong with it. And this is why when I listen to it, I, I kind of think on one level, like, oh, yeah, that's that's actually pretty good. And then on some other level, uh, in, like way deep down in the background on a level that I'm not even going to like consciously let myself really engage with, but it's for sure there.
0: Part of me is being like, I'm sad now and I don't <laughs> get why. <laughs> So this is a great segue to talking about one of the other songs. By the way, yes, Pop Troll song from about 10 years ago. Doesn't matter. Song of the Summer doesn't have to be new. Doesn't matter. Song of the Summer can be yours. It's the song of your summer, GD it. Uh, Anyway, what Jordan's saying about the time changes and the music changes, but the purpose of the music relative to what the music is might not change with it, right? So, like, different musics may represent a similar purpose. That really brings me to one of our most useful entertainments, which is, of course, uh, Thomas. Thomas the, the, the Tank Engine. And uh, now and there's been some discussion this summer of the old Thomas the Tank Engine theme. And I'll let you guys elaborate on that. But before we say that, I'll just say I had never really heard it before because my son listens to the Thomas theme from the show on Netflix, which is like, let's go, 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 which is like a pop punk, Paw style theme song. Oh, It's
2: absolutely in that style. And by the way, I'm positive that it's written and performed by Jonathan Colton, although I cannot find a new proof on the Internet. That that the case. <laughs> right. You know what Thomas I'm talking about, right? And
0: his friends let's yeah. go, go, go! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on uh, a
2: big world adventure. Oh, it's so good. It's a really yeah, good song. Yeah, but he's yeah. a he's
0: a train. The the links they have to go to to make the trains go to different countries is is uh, is extensive and probably unnecessary. But at this point, they got to do something, right? Uh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to talk about the uh, the Thomas the Tank Engine deep dives and stuff?
2: I mean, I'll, I'll start. So first of all, like, I was unaware. This, by the way, the, the the Thomas theme song that we're talking about here is the one that goes like da 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 da. Du, 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 du. It kind of has this like starts off with this jaunty little like piano kind of thing um, and then goes in different directions which we'll talk about in a second. But this is also notable outside of the world of parents uh, in that, like um, it has been remixed um, <laughs> to uh, to various hip hop songs. Um, so uh, if, you, if you Google Thomas the Dank engine, <laughs> then you'll <laughs> treat it to a feast of sonic splendors. Um, you know, like, I'm I'm the real Slim Shady overlaid over the Thomas the Tank Engine theme song is the sort of thing that we're talking about. Anyway, um, we, we found a video where a uh, YouTube music theorist uh, breaks down this song, and it is, like, way, way more complicated uh, than you would expect uh, anything Geared to Children to be. Um, it, like, has, like, three key changes. It has, like, three or four completely different musical ideas going on. Um, it is very harmonically complex. Um, and I love it for that. Um. In and I'll 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 let Jordan take it from there since uh, you know you're you're very learned in, in these sorts of things. Like, what else is going on here? In this Thomas and Tank Engine song. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think that the the best way to describe it musically is like, you know, the Beatles song, Will You Still Need Me? Will You Still Feed Me When I'm 64? Right. And how like that seems to be referencing some kind of older British music that clearly the Beatles grew up on, but we are kind of cut off from. Like, this is that. This is the kind of music that, yeah. uh, that the Beatles are riffing in that. And it's just like, it's really, really good. The The, uh, the beat is kind of sick just like the sort of the groove you can sort of see why people want to to put Put lyrics over it, and the, uh, as you say, I mean, I, we'll put the the link in the show notes. I, I'm not going to try to summarize the harmonic analysis, but it's just like it keeps changing to keys you don't expect it to. It does it in this kind of very deliberate pattern where these certain kind of like uh, tertiary relationships keep coming back again and again and again. And you could listen to it without thinking about the harmony at all, and it still works. Like it, it's not. Rubbing your face in it or uh or doing things that are weird for the sake of being weird but if you start to really think about what's going on and try to sort of keep the original key in mind as all of it happens you're sort of like so much work went into this and why (laughs) This this is a broader phenomenon actually in children's music like music for children's media that uh that you can find again and again and again which is that somebody was tasked with making a uh making a song for a property and the people who tasked them to make the song were not going to care really what it was like as long as it was as it was basically good right because you know you have a, effectively a captive audience to a degree children aren't going to get up and change the channel a lot their parents are going to decide what puts on uh so like you you kind of get given this uh this task and you have this very easy mark to hit and then you have uh, a fair amount of time to play around with that. And so you end up turning in something that goes way, 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 way uh, beyond what you were called upon to do. And nobody notices until like maybe a decade later, somebody who probably grew up with that show is thinking back, and they're like, wait, what's going on there? The uh, The one from our childhood that often gets talked about with this is the theme song to the original Transformers show, which is in some kind of it's in like eleven eight or something like that. Like the, the time signature is absolutely bonkers and shifts constantly over the course of the song. And you never would know this. Like you are just sort of sitting there, like bopping your head. Yeah. You know, take that Megatron. But if you actually try to pin down what's happening, like, you know, somebody what's the line from the wire right they gave a damn when it wasn't their turn to give a damn uh and and the world is all the richer for it
0: <laughs> so that guy is charles cornell i just want to name check him on the audio so that if people don't come to the show notes uh or the discord they'll be able to look it up but you should come to the show notes of the discord they're great places we chit chat about all this stuff it's a lot of fun uh it, you know what i want to just I, name check one other person which is friend of the overthinking it podcast and for one time guest at least one time uh, Bear McCreary, who is the composer on the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon, right? The War of the Rings uh, show, and it's funny that the person whose job it is to compose the theme song to Thomas the Tank Engine probably has more creative freedom because when you hear when you hear Bear talk about it, you know that he's putting a lot of work into it and he's putting a lot of thought into it. But you got to think that he's working. With all of the previously existing Lord of the Rings music that he wants to, you know, incorporate to the degree that he can, and all of the, you know, the the dwarves and the elves and everything. Like, there's only so much you can do. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It, with, I guess these are also children's shows to an extent. Uh, do do you, does any of that stuff resonate with you as a song in the summer candidate? Uh, any of the uh, the Game of Thrones or the Lord of the Rings music that's been kicking around? No. It's all wizards. No, I mean, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think that you you had a really good and
1: interesting point there about how there is like less creative freedom in a way with a project like that because yes, although there's 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 several things that are uh, that Bear McCreary is going to have to struggle against. That right. One is, as you say, you have uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, which have these sort of storied soundtracks to them, right? And whatever fan base you might think is possibly going to be into the show, they know those songs, and they kind of already know what Middle Earth sounds like. They have an idea of, yeah, elves kind of sound like this, right? Dwarves kind of sound like this, hobbits kind of sound like this. And, I mean, you could, if you wanted to, fly in the face of that, but you, you can't ignore it. Right. You either have to meet those expectations or you need to subvert those expectations. But those expectations are a, a medium that you're going to have to struggle against in a way that we need a, we need a power pop song for a show about cartoon dogs. Right. There, there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no friction to struggle against there. Also, uh, you have to think that uh, the. There's a lot of money riding on that Lord of the Rings show and a lot of executives who know something about music and what's worse, a lot of executives who think they know something about music, right? <laughs> uh, who are all going to be breathing down his neck and saying like, no, don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Have you tried putting it in the Dorian mode? I read somewhere that that was a manly song for warriors, right? <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> um, so like it's – I on the one hand, I do envy him the task because like, oh man, like what a – what a great job to have! But I, on the other hand, there's a—I don't envy him the task. There's a reason that he got that job and I did not, which is that like there's so many hurdles that you're going to have to jump to to get that, you know, to land that plane. Uh, and as you see, this metaphor has gotten away from me slightly, but it's it's tricky in a way that. Children's music kind of isn't because, and I mean, I say this as someone who has children that I absolutely love. Uh, but like, when you're talking about the Paw Patrol age, they're kind of dumb, right? They don't really, <laughs> they, they don't really have good good taste, and even the ones that do have good taste, they don't have any like way to leverage that into anything that's gonna gonna hurt your
2: paycheck. Okay, they they do have taste, some sort of form of taste, and I'm not gonna take Maybe away you're from your fancy
0: New York children, Mark. <laughs> They go eat it at. Uh, they go eat a mouche boosh for lunch. Just listen, just listen to you know, hard bebop
2: jazz. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. During at daycare. Um, I'm not going to take anything from what Jordan said there, which is all, all fine and good. But like, I also don't want um anybody listening to this to come away from the idea that like the general production of children's entertainment is not without standards, and also is like not kind of iterated upon to really hit certain sweet spots. Right. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a New York Times article um, from a few months ago that described the process for making a little show called Coco Melon. Now, we're not going to put a links to the music into this because that's really not great at all. But <laughs> kind of to the point, um, this stuff is like uh, Coco Melon at least, is hyper engineered, like focus group to the point where, like, you know, they'll put a draft version of a show in front of a small child. And they will record any time that child stops paying attention to it, like drops eye contact, and then they will iterate on that until they produce something that's an hour long that will completely enrapture a child uh, for that entire period of time. So all that is to say, like there are standards, there is something I guess you could call it taste, or like there is, like, you know, a a a a a function of a, a discernment in the brain that will decide to pay attention and not pay attention to things and people out there who are making uh, children's entertainment are sensitive to that so (laughs) no. <laughs> I don't know if you can call that taste, right? They, they want something that they, they've scientifically engineered
1: it to be overwhelming, right? This, like to call that taste is imagining that you're going to have like a cocaine sommelier who's like, you know, ah, yes, you know, the 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 Colombian 83 vintage. This one is going to make you see
0: through time, right? <laughs> I will say that like I was very glad when my son got a little bored with little baby bum and dozens of different versions of wheels on the bus uh, and is now obsessed with monster trucks. I I show him like live footage of old monster truck shows and of dump trucks driving around on dirt and it feels like an upgrade. A little bit over the wheels. On the- <laughs> <laughs> Although the the uh, we actually watch a lot of brain candy TV, if you've ever watched that, which is, I think, a Canadian show that tries to do basic <laughs> stuff like numbers and colors with monster. Speaking trucks. speaking yeah. of cocaine. Sommeliers. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this This makes me want to ask Jordan about Peg and Cat, because that kind of seems like it went in a different direction. This was another a song that you listed in our little pre-planning for the song of the summer, um, yeah. and I thought it was interesting. Was there a particular piece of it that really struck you?
1: Oh, so, I mean, this is a – I'm glad this comes up. So Peg plus Cat is a uh, a show that was on PBS, and it's uh, it's fantastic if you can still track it down. It's definitely a show that is like – Rather than taking the coco melon approach of we just want something that is going to get kids smacked off their ass, right? Uh, Peg plus cat is attempting to be nurturing and teach them important lessons about basic mathematical skills. They have like whole episodes about like waiting in line for concert tickets, where the line that they're waiting on is a number line. They teach you how to do basic operations on a number line as people try to like cut ahead to get concert tickets and things like that. Uh, And one of the things that the show does really well is it has songs very frequently. And sometimes the songs are just sort of there to serve whatever else is going on in the episode. But there are a few episodes that are like, about music, where this isn't music for entertainment for children. This is entertainment for children about music, right? And that's that's a very different thing. The one that I is this uh, really interesting, completely wordless episode where it starts off with uh, the titular Peg and Cat like playing around in their room and they've got a ball and they're bouncing it around and sort of counting one, two, one, two, one, two as they bounce the ball. And then it flies out the window and they go into the yard and there it bounces one, two, three, one, two, three, and they have a couple of their neighbors are out there playing like a waltz on a violin and a cello. And then it bounces into the street where they have a piece that's in four and then It bounces into like a spaceship where they have a a piece that's in five, and I think they go all the way up to um, either all the way up to eight or maybe up to twelve. I can't. I I didn't watch the whole thing through, Uh, but anyway, like there's never any talking. They never explain that they're demonstrating the concept of musical meter to you they just uh, go up adding beats one at a time uh, and all of like the you know seven is a really interesting one uh eight i remember is a duet between ludwig van beethoven and billy Holiday, and then it counts back down they go back from seven to six to five to four to three to one to two and i think that this is about the best explanation of the concept of meter that i have ever seen anywhere in any form and like I, I play this video for college students and i'm trying to teach them like how, how meter works if they're not people who had like a good music program in high school and learned to play an instrument or something like that meter is a really hard concept to discuss abstractly you like if you're playing an instrument it's pretty you like you figured out pretty intuitively and you sort of know how it works but say you don't play an instrument say you've never played an instrument explaining what's going on with meter is actually really really hard, and the, this approach that Peg Plus Cat takes, where they like they don't actually explain it, they just sort of like show it to you and continue showing it to you uh, by showing how different pieces of different meters. Uh, you know, I, this is uh, from a certain point of view, this is like a wonderful thing for children's television to be, and the the best kind of thing that entertainment for children could possibly be. But and here's the problem, right? If you showed that to that cocoa melon test audience, their eyes would look away from the screen a lot more frequently, I think, right? Uh, so if, if like this 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 leads into another question, what is the point of children's entertainment in the first place? Is it to provide a sort of nurturing garden of educational delights to these impressionable young minds, or is it to like, please sit still for five seconds while Daddy finishes making
0: dinner? It's to sell toys, Jordan. <laughs> it doesn't have to only do that. I've never seen a Peg Plus Cat toy. I'm sure they exist. By the way, there is one season of Peg Plus Cat on Prime. The episode that Jordan is talking about is in season six, though, I think, or season five. No, season six, which I think you, you might be able to, I don't think you can even get that on PBS Kids. I think you have to buy it somewhere um, or find it somewhere in the wilderness, uh, yeah, but it, I'm I'm going to watch it now for sure. <laughs> M- um.
1: Making it more complicated, like the the seasons that you find listed various places are inconsistent. So like oh, okay. episode, yeah, like so, sometimes they had ten episode seasons, and then they had the same episodes repackaged as fifteen episode seasons. So like finding a particular episode that you want is actually
0: really tricky. I mean, so that, that's a good question, though. What is it for? I, obviously, it feels like in different occasions you want the music to do different things. You want it to be soothing. You want it to be catchy. You want the kid to enjoy it. You want it to kind of improve their quality of life. I think that if you I, – personally, I like it when it's educational. It seems that is if it's if it's Ceteris Paribus, if it's you know six and one half dozen or the other, I would rather that it teach something. Uh, I guess you could also say, well, it's always teaching something, and if it feels like it's teaching nothing, then it's probably teaching you know, that nothing in a proactive way or teaching something else. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. How would you guys answer that question?
1: I mean, does it – just to sort
0: of hop off of your
1: last comment, like, yes, it does always teach something. It might be something that you don't want them to learn. Uh, if right. if right. Melon teaches you to sit absolutely still with your eyes glazed to the TV, like that is to a certain degree a skill set, right? And uh, one that, in some ways, fits you in very nicely with modern society, but maybe not one that we that we want to encourage, uh, you know. In a perfect world, I don't know. That's that's probably that's probably alarmist, old man though. You know, like I don't know
2: about you guys, but I sat my three year old to watch They Live and, you know, he put he's got the glasses on. Right. (laughs) He's not just like sit there and obey. Right.
0: I I watch Blackfish with my two year old just so that he knows, you know, where SeaWorld is getting its its, uh, whales from. (laughs) What would be the silliest thing to show a, a two year old like Zeitgeist? Maybe like, did you guys watch that thing? Uh, <laughs> I will say
1: like, one of my one of my older son's best friends from kindergarten. Like, we, we learned that his parents had had him watch like Jurassic Park. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> we're like, you're like, yikes. yikes! But apparently he was fine with it, right? <laughs> okay. They're they like, you know, that's not really happening. That's not really Samuel L. Jackson's arm, right? And he's like, yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> right. Well, okay, so to to break it down even a little bit more, with children with music, there's the question of music versus musical. Because music, this is one that I run into in my regular everyday life, which is are we playing a piece of music that's going to be enjoyed in a short period of time, presumably repeated many times, or is part of a sort of switching of different songs? Or are we enjoying a piece of music that's part of a longer composition? And we try to have different times of day where we engage with the music in different ways. Like in the morning, it's more narrative stuff and longer form stuff. And then there's the time I spend with him in the evening before dinner where we kind of have our, our sort of candy or we like watch our YouTube videos and stuff. But I don't want it to be just YouTube videos because I want him to feel I guess I want to give him the tools in his life that he would need to to derive genuine joy from like long form entertainments i don't want him to not be equipped to enjoy the things that i feel like he might really like that that's my concern that in is terms really of that is
2: really it. interesting Hold on, let's, let's, I want to spoil that a little bit more because, like, that thought has never occurred to me.
0: With I mean, I'm group. probably just making it up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an overthinker. It's the name of the website. But,
1: uh, but so, hang on. When, can I just say, when you say like more long form narrative stuff, is it like,
0: all right, it's 9:30, time for Thunder Road? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Well, like, I, I, I'll give an example. Well, here an example. Right. An example might be he went through a Moana phase. And and the question is, are we watching the movie Moana or are we watching the music video to You're Welcome three times in a row?
1: Uh, OK, yeah, no, that makes total sense.
0: Yeah. And, and so like having different occasions for those different things. Now, the other side of it is that. If you're able to show him a longer form piece, that also gives you time to do something else if you have to do it now that he's old enough to sit and watch it. So, you know, if my wife has him because my wife isn't isn't uh, going to work. It's the summer right now. If she has him and needs to, like, you know, make food, then she might put on a show that he'll sit and watch. But you still don't really I still don't really feel comfortable letting him just watch algorithmically delivered short videos. Like I still want to choose everything um you know, oh, i don't yeah, want to just yeah. let the That's
2: youtube really run it's beautiful yeah. yeah not even best practice but like essential practice at this. yeah because <laughs> the given, things given that the have happened in of the past. YouTube. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah
0: yeah but yeah, yeah so for, like, for those who
2: are not aware basically like, the youtube algorithm in the past has um served up like in the sloth of you know children's videos like pretty disturbing and heinous stuff and i yeah. think it's probably gotten a little bit better since then um but is uh you're just really uh you're just, like, spinning that roulette wheel if you're letting yeah. your children watch uh, YouTube unattended.
0: Yeah. And like, we don't even necessarily always use the YouTube kids thing. So like he might end up watching some league of legends and that's just setting him up for a life of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, my, my support, my support has been feeding the whole game and I hate him so much. And it's like, man, you're three chill out you have so much of your life to hate your support. <laughs> like, you he's got, he's like, got the
2: rest of his life to get good. So Dude, jungle diff,
0: jungle diff. Uh <laughs> So when
2: we're it talking about actually, what, what these shows are trying to do. Right. Like there's so interesting, like like an episode of Paw Patrol um, when you watch it, at least when you watch it um, on Nick Jr., I guess in its intended form, <laughs> in full form, long form. <laughs> The author is dead. (laughs) Paw Patrol exists uh, in the
0: ether. Yeah, (laughs) in the the void.
2: The the, the
1: director of Paw Patrol went on this big rant about how angry he is that they didn't put it in theaters as was originally
2: intended. (laughs) You you joke, and yet there is absolutely a theatrical Paw Patrol movie uh, and another one Ah. next year. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Anyway, so Paw Patrol episode starts off with, like, uh, you know, this show teaches your child about teamwork and problem solving or something like that right so you know there is this notion that the show should be doing something um constructive with your child but any of you who have seen an episode of paw patrol know that that is a, a bit of a stretch <laughs> i think is 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 being
0: generous right I mean, are like, they at least they don't nice do they like make team. good moral decisions um like it's taking you away know, from a small child the responsibility for like structuring society in a long-term sustainable way so which not even adults one, really understand as much as they say they
2: there's do. the one where they are straight up like ice and deport a bunch of rabbits um <laughs> what really uh, who have immigrated into uh, yeah I'm, I'm, i wish i were making this uh, the, the pups save the bunnies oh, Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so, uh yeah so it's it's kind of it's we, we 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 threw a, a, a throw I mentioned earlier where like their think pieces where Paw Patrol like espouses the fascist ideology right like I don't know I'm not necessarily going to go that far but um you know if if you if you look at these these episodes of Paw Patrol um and and you think about like the, the message that they're, they're delivering um like you, you go like one step beyond what your three year old is thinking like sometimes it uh, goes to a questionable place. Questionable oh, wow. place, like Jordan. Would you would you agree to that? Yeah, absolutely, I would. Because
1: like the thing with Paw Patrol, right, is that uh, the mayor is an absolute incompetent, right? Like <laughs> Which the the, the, the democ- oh, uh, no. mayor Goodway. Wait. Like there's, there's, in- so, there's there's one mayor from like the neighboring town who is evil, and then the the mayor of their town.
2: Like that's that? not that much of a exaggerations. Mayor Humdinger is um, an ersatz Trump.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Mayor Goodway, who is the the mayor of like the town that Paw Patrol resides in, is a like is not just incompetent, but like, you know, her main concern is that she has a emotional support chicken that she like she wants to have a beautiful life. And she she tries to make things good for the chicken. And that's like it. That's all she ever does. If anything goes wrong in the town, if the town needs to be governed in any significant way, that's down to Ryder and his team of pups who are, as far as we can tell, like they are not elected. They're not really employed. They just sort of charge in and take over the situation. And they you know, they're not. To call them a uh, a bunch of paramilitary brown shirts would be pushing things slightly because you know there's no violence in this universe whatsoever. But you know there's a cop and they all have these big vehicles and the the fire hose dog you know the, the firefighter dog sometimes sprays his fire hose on things and you know they're, they are effectively a outside uniformed oh. uh, authoritarian organization and like this is this is how things should be they're the ones who can actually get things done they're the ones who should have the authority which is you know kind of a fascist message right
2: jordan this is the first time that i've put one and one together that marshall has um is a dog and has a fire hose and could be which could be used for things other than putting out fires i.e crowd control <laughs> wow that, that's <laughs> such a really dark place
0: I, I wrote a piece like years and years and years ago for overthinking of it about how the care bears were this awful paramilitary emotional control operation that like located and eliminated unacceptable emotions. But I can't find if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh I didn't realize that we were there with Paw Patrol. I I mean, I will jump to a show I've wanted to talk about, and we've been talking about it on the Discord. Uh, and uh, and i think we'll keep talking about it a little bit is i really want to talk about blaze and the monster machines and my song in the summer from blaze and the monster machines is the pickle family campout song of the pickle family which has a lot which is a, a straight up pop polka <laughs> which is uh which we'll link in the show notes and it's just a super catchy and extremely endearing song um and the concept of this show is is interesting. I think, like Paw Patrol, it's surprisingly elaborate, uh, and and yet also, like we've discussed, its core concept is elegantly simple in more than one way so first of all show about talking monster trucks most of the characters in the show are talking monster trucks they live in a world where the animals have monster truck wheels everything is a monster truck except for the humans who drive the monster trucks sometimes but not all the time right so like (laughs) world of monster trucks clearly this exists to sell monster truck toys right it's like okay great awesome I'm on board. Right. Um, and the main character is this guy named Blaze, who is a monster truck. And he's driven by this driver named AJ. Uh, and the the average arc of an episode is that there's some sort of monster truck race. And Blaze has a bunch of people he's you know other trucks he's friendly with uh, who are trying to problem solve some sort of issue that comes up invariably because there's this one heel monster truck named Crusher who determines that his only way of winning the race is to cheat. And he cheats in some way that kind of fouls everything up. This is the sort of standard. Uh, uh, Blaze and the Monster Machines episode, and then they they have to problem solve some way to fix the thing that Crusher that Crusher screwed up. And most of the show has is about like mechanical engineering, <laughs> and uh, and so it's like, oh yeah, we have to learn the trajectory to throw these balls at to hit the button on the machine that keeps spitting out pies, right? Or like we have to learn about <laughs> magnets, or we have to learn about oh, masks. it's a it's a STEM curriculum show. The, yes. How enriching. Exactly. Exactly. Now, of course, it is. I don't think it is in any way against the existence of internal combustion engines. So if you were like really, really against gas cars, you could say this is like indoctrinating people to like grow up and become auto engineers and want to make gas cars. I mean, the main character is named Blaze, not Zap. Right. Um, And he burns fuel. Uh, But the other thing about this is that Blaze is always the one who wins the race. Because he has jet engines on his butt, <laughs> his rockets that he can turn on at the end, and he always wins, And which my wife is frustrated by. Because if he really is the one who has all these friends and believes in playing fair, then how come he always wins and nobody else gets to win ever, right? Uh, which doesn't seem fair and seems to justify to an extent Crusher's cheating because yeah. Blaze has rockets on his butt and nobody else yeah. does. <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: no but see it, it's not it doesn't count as cheating when the protagonist does it
0: oh yes of course i am the law right let's say some i am the blaze right? like i am uh you know it's house of the dragon is what blaze is all about right is that uh the dragons define the political reality um but the, de- the really defining characteristic of blaze of the monster machines is it's like driving pop punk soundtrack which is similar to the paw patrol soundtrack and the uh the nuevo, uh, not not Thomas the Tank Engine or Thomas and his friends, but Big World, Big Adventure, Thomas and his friends, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is the uh, the go 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 one, right? Uh, and, and there's three albums of this music you can listen to on Spotify on all sorts of topics related to mechanical engineering and STEM curricula. Uh, there is a, a is of course a female mechanic named Gabby who's the main mechanic, uh, but. My song, the song that I love for the show, is not any of these things, and it is so strange that it exists. In that the bad guy, the monster named Crusher, has a sidekick named Pickle, who is well-meaning but childlike and kind of questions his bad decisions and just sort of keeps supporting him in a codependent way through all the things that he does. And Crusher is not like evil. You get the sense he's somewhat childlike and he does things that if the world had consequences would be really bad, such as flooding the entire world. But like <laughs> that would be really bad. But you don't get the sense – you get the sense these are sort of victimless things. These are races that people are having for fun for the most part. Uh, and Crusher is, you know, a sort of welcome member of the social group whenever he wants to show up and, like, hang out with everybody. And he just figures out ways to cheat. So, like, you think that Pickle is sort of a uh, sort of a sniveling Smeagol or like Renfield kind of character, like the Gary Busey sidekick to the Predator that we talked about last week when we talked about Prey. But Pickle, in fact, has like a large, loving, positive, extended family of monster trucks that all presumably gather – in the woods of Wisconsin or something to have family reunions periodically at a camp. And there's a whole episode where they all go to camp together and they sing this wonderful polka song about how much they all love each other. And they love to do chores and eat s'mores and grandpa can't see, but he loves fishing. And, uh, it's the most shameless polka I've seen outside of a weird Al Yankovic song that I can recall. Um, Uh, And it put me, me in a rabbit hole of learning about polka. And I did not realize that polka was such a dominant form of popular music for so long. I mean, Jordan, is that true? Was I reading the right articles there that polka was like a really big deal for a long time? Um, I mean,
1: I, I think the answer is yes, but it's not something that I know a ton of a ton about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of poker music out there. People, there are a lot still a lot of people today who care about it. Right. And that uh, the, you, you sent it around in the back. I'm like, yes, that uh, the pickle jamboree song is uh, is a real jam. Uh, very, yeah, very. I'm
0: a, I'm a big fan. And and this is the one that my son has been listening to recently. So he's been putting this one on repeat a lot. He just goes, he goes pickle family, pickle family. Um, and of course we're the Fenzel family. So it scans, you know, yeah. we are nice. the Fenzel family and we love being Fenzels. Right. Uh, <laughs> is this, uh, Pete, so is this
2: teaching something about like cultural diversity? Like, is there some essentialism what? going on here? Like, <laughs> You know the the, the pickle <laughs> family; they're different, right? They I have suppose. a different kind of music compared yeah. to what is like the dominant. Um, and That's it's true. like f- folksy. Is is it is it ethnic? <laughs> like, well, it's like, ed- does, ed- does this does this trope get carried on with with this clan here? Do they have other notable distinguishing characteristics? Are they like more bucolic and, and rural compared to the rest of the mantra trucks?
0: Well, they're not engaged in racing with each other. Um, I mean, that's the
1: thing, because Pickle is like Pickle is the one character in Blazing the Monster Machines whose Talos is not being a big, strong truck. You know? Right. Like, right, right. Uh, and and I think that the the power pop sort of rocking stuff, like all of that is there to say, like, yeah, I'm gonna have huge wheels and do sick jumps and backflips and I'll win the race. Pickle, you know, pickle is in the races sometimes, but he's never being like, I'm gonna win the race. He's like, I wanna be friends with my yeah. pal, pressure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like that just sort of that's sort of what he's oriented towards is friendship and happiness and togetherness. So it really makes sense that the music for pickle is not going to have this uh, kind of airbrushed side of a van quality of awesomeness that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that so much of Blaze and the Monster Machine and Paw Patrol, for that matter, is kind of
0: stapled to, for better or for worse. Right. I mean, there is, you could say... You could, I think you could, if you really wanted to dig into it. And I'm very loath to do this, but if you could dig into it, you could say that there's like a whiteness studies angle with pickle. In that, there you go. Yeah, That's yeah. really what I was going for. Thank in you, that, dude. like, in that, like, the creation of U.S., you know, America, you know, United States whiteness involves a a, a sort of voluntary erasure of european heritage and culture in order to kind of fuse everybody into a into a culture that's seen and thought of as a default and pickles are i think often associated with jewishness in american culture Mm -hmm. though they are of course also very common in other cuisines Uh, and i think we are to understand from the polka at least that pickle is german i don't know if pickle ever comes off as jewish although of course camp is a big thing for people who are jewish uh like oh, relatively speaking like if tradition- this music had been klezmer I mean, how much of a yeah well that that's the thing right? i wanted to ask you guys listen us do this is polka not klezmer right oh it's totally polka yeah yeah fine. yeah, yeah. And, and like but at the same time the idea that polka's not white is itself absurd right <laughs> 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 because because like it just seems silly because partly i think because as a popular music polka was displaced by ragtime and i think It is one, at least according to the readings that I was doing, which I, you know, it's like Wikipedia nonsense. I don't have anything authoritative on it. But the idea that as a sort of late 19th century, early 20th century dance music, uh, it is sort of pre-Africanized, as one of our old professors might put it, in that it doesn't really include a major influence from African-Americans. And it's probably the last big form of American widespread popular music. And dance music in particular that doesn't have much influence from African Americans because African Americans <laughs> are such a big part of American music. I would, just, I mean, I, that this is this is sort of my thinking, right? It's like why is why is polka so white, right? And it's it's because not, and it's because in order for it to exist now, it has to feel protected. Like you have to sort of create polka safe spaces, which I don't think they did on Blaze and the Monster Machines because as you said, Pickle is. It's interesting that Pickle wants to be friends with everybody, but Pickle is friends with the heel. He's not friends with the good guys, even though Pickle himself is a good guy and yeah. like not a good guy. But Pickle himself is like sympathetic and kind and has the characteristics that you might expect in somebody who is, say, like friends with Yugi and Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Like the power of friendship, Yu-Gi-Oh, draw the blue eye. You know, don't draw the blue eyes, white dragon. That would be Kaiba, right? Um, draw your dark magician, you know, because we're all friends. Right. Like that, that, that is usually a good guy character. So it's interesting that pickle is kind of a bit subaltern. <laughs> like he's kind of like the, on the lower status team a lot of the time. Uh, but at the same time has this sort of weird German, you know, like non assimilated out in the woods kind of, of course he have to speak English. Um, so yeah, it's, I feel like it would require a more thorough um, reading yeah. of a lot of the sources.
1: I mean there's there's things that you could connect this to right that like um the, the way that pickle is with his family is not totally unlike the way that say the the Boyle family is on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right mm-hmm. um or or to a certain degree how like the Schrute family is on uh The Office right like, yeah that's a good and, one. yeah uh, and th- there there is this kind of like vaguely rural, vaguely like Central European kind of white American idea, which I mean, like certainly in real life, right? But I, I mean more in like in modern popular entertainment, that like there's a particular way for certain characters to be white that points to all of that. Um, and I mean, I, I think that it's, it's definitely kind of like a, a minor version of it on Blaze and the Monster Machine, because again, this is mainly a show about landing sick jumps. But I I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're right that it's there. And like the fact that it's polka music rather than anything else. I mean, polka stuff with strong offbeats like that you get in kids music just generally, but it it certainly does fit. Right. Like because it's a it is a central European dance that kind of swept across the American heartland. Uh, and that's sort of where where that it still sort of exists as an idea, regardless of where you might actually be able to find polka dances and festivals and things like that today.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting. It
0: is interesting. interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Also, that episode is is about mass because they have to free people from spider webs by throwing heavy things on them and measuring whether it beats the loading capacity of the spider webs. So that's the STEM curriculum in the episode about polka dancing, in which all the monster trucks are landing sick jumps. Uh, so.
1: For 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 a minute there, I thought when you said it's about mass, I was like, this is the episode where Blaze takes on the question of transubstantiation,
0: and I like. <laughs> I'm I'm Jordan, really have you can't. watched? You sound like you've watched a lot of Blaze. You sound like you've watched a lot of <laughs> Blaze, or at least a little bit. I have watched a lot of Blaze.
1: Okay, uh, my okay. older son went through a big Blaze and the Monster Machines phase, and uh, but my favorite thing about Blaze and the Monster Machines is that it like when they are going to solve these problems, they will turn to you, the audience member, and say like, "Okay, in order to like in order to squirt this water hose at that spider, or in order to turn on my jetpack that lets me win the race, I need you all to shout something." You know, shout left, shout right, shout let's blaze, uh, and <laughs> my, my son would never do it. <laughs> so there would be this like it's like okay, time to say it, silence. You said it. That's
2: a, that's a that's a whole other genre or subgenre of a television show like breaking the third wall, engaging the audience in that kind of way, um,
0: which is the third I, wall. The third wall, fourth the floor, wall. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, the,
1: the third wall is the left one. Oh, OK. Gotcha. Sorry. The fourth wall. Sorry. <laughs> breaking the fourth it. wall. I appreciate
0: yeah. that. Uh, well, they're breaking a lot of walls in the of the monster. Museum, so just make sure you know which which wall we're talking. So, yeah. So like Blue's Clues and, and Dora the Explorer and stuff.
2: Uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Even you know, even Mr. Rogers, if you go back, he wouldn't ask you to say stuff, but he would like ask you questions and wait while you listened and then mm-hmm. return. It's interesting, you know, we're thinking about, like, how this music is going to uh, to program the kids to do something or engage with music in some way. And yet we all grew up on Mr. Rogers, right? And, like, did not then go on to be notable aficionados of, like, kind of Vince Guaraldi-style smooth piano jazz.
2: Hey, speak for yourself, man. I mean, it, to, to be fair, I guess it took, like, 40 years for me to come around to that after going through
0: <laughs> pop, pop punk. All right. So the last song of the summer candidate I have on this list is Creature Report by the Octonauts. Does anyone want to wrap (laughs) that before we check out? Yes. So here's the thing, though,
1: about uh, Creature Report from the Octonauts is that it is a perfect song. (laughs) Okay, that's perfect. that is perfect. <laughs> on. It's a uh, the on. Octonauts is a is a show. It's uh, it's one of the best Star Trek shows to come out in the past, say twenty years. I would say, although in fact it's called Octonauts and it's not really Star Trek. But uh, on the other hand, is it not? Uh, they are a undersea explorers who travel around solving problems that various forms of ocean life may have uh the captain is a polar bear the the doctor is a penguin the sort of riker slash wharf character is a cat and and a pirate uh, you know he's a pirate because he has an eye patch he's never done an act of piracy anyway it's a, it's a pretty good children's show but whatever the animal is that they've encountered and had kind of like a Star Trek level adventure with over the course of the episode right at the end they're like okay now because there is a mandate for this to be scientific we're going to tell you some facts about this animal and they sing the creature report song uh, which always has the same music and it's this uh, I, I can't really describe the genre there's a, a wonderful sort of like drumbeat to it and they all sing creature report creature report and then they will have lyrics which are in the form of, of a clara Hugh. pete you're like the, the literature guy can you
0: explain what clara Hughes are Oh man, I, I actually should have looked this up beforehand. I don't know what it is off the top of my head.
1: Sorry I, I shouldn't have put it put you uh, put you on the spot. A Hugh is like it's a mnemonic device poem where it's usually about some famous person and the you will include some facts that are true and some facts that are utter nonsense.
0: Oh. So there's
1: a, there's one where it's like uh, Sir Hubert Davy was very fond of gravy. He lived in the odium of having discovered sodium. Uh, so like that that's an example
0: of a Clara Hume. Yeah. old John and, Henry uh, was a mighty man. He brushed his teeth for the frying pan, like that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, except oh, yeah. I mean John Henry is is a folkloric character, right. right? Whereas usually yes, these yeah. are like randos from history uh, oh, okay. that, you, that you want to know like one fact about. Um, so in this case it will be like uh, whale sharks are very large you might mistake one for a barge like that kind of thing uh, and they they sing this and then there's a dance break which is great and then they say uh, Octonauts at ease until the, n- the next adventure and like as as we've said these are songs that we all hear a million times to the point where we get really really sick of them and I have heard the Creature Report song Let Me Tell You a million times and it has Never lost its charm, not even once. <laughs> oh, I would, I would very happily listen to the Creature Report song right now. I may, when this podcast ends, go listen to the Creature Report song just for fun.
0: <laughs> man, that I is think a, it's because yeah.
2: it doesn't have like the driving guitars and is like you know a perfectly whipped confection. That's what makes it tolerable.
1: It's this maybe court- and. Yeah, and and it's like it's not a kind of music that I remember when I, from when I wore a younger man's clothes and still sort of saw saw vast untapped swaths of possibility in my life, right? So I, I, th- there's not that kind of uh, subcutaneous regret of wait, it's like wait a minute,
0: I listened to this music years ago. I never listened to this music. Nobody ever listened to this music. Got it. So Octonauts is on Netflix. Uh, the Thomas stuff is on Netflix. Pagan Cat is on PBS Kids or a little bit of Amazon or find it somewhere in the wilderness. Blaze the Monster Machines is on Paramount Plus. Spidey and his amazing friends is on Disney Plus. Paw Patrol. I'm assuming that's on Paramount Plus also. Paw Patrol because it's a Nick Jr. show. Yeah. Yeah. Paramount OK. Plus. Uh, all right. And then Lord of the Rings, the House of the Dragon is on <laughs> HBO Max and then no lord of the rings house of Dragon is not a thing the rings of power is on (laughs) prime the house of the dragon is on hbo max elmo is on hbo max (laughs) we're gonna help you figure out what streaming services you need to get prey is on hulu that's all you need to know uh all right so are we gonna gonna first first get yourself a small
2: child and then um And then just start to light all your money on fire. And then, with the the smoldering Tinder of what is left, subscribe to all of those streaming services.
1: (laughs) Coco Melon is mostly on YouTube, but man, just don't with Coco Melon.
0: Yeah. That was one line in the sand we managed to to hold on to, though. Little Baby Bum is like not any better. Um, It also has a weird name, man. Little Baby Bum. I don't get it. Uh, But anyway, do we have a song of the summer? Do we have a winner? I mean, what's all this? Should we should we have a vote on our discord from the candidates that we've talked about in this podcast oh, and totally see who yes. who wins? All right. So if you want to weigh in on the song of the summer and if you really want to make a write in candidate, you're welcome to. Although if it's if it's not something that remember, the characterization is that someone who lives in your house who doesn't pay rent, has to force you to play over and over again against your will. That is the first condition. So I don't think the new Beyonce album is going to qualify unless well, I could qualify if you're in that situation, <laughs> it could qualify. But we're mostly talking about the, the theme songs and the kid music that's been echoing in your houses uh, and apartments and and cars and electric bikes or wherever else uh, fine Octonauts are sold. Uh, we will we will talk about it on the discord. Uh, please you know, subscribe if you haven't. We uh, we love you guys so much. Please. Uh, we're always looking for new members. Uh, so that we can join our community of people who is very non-judgmental and generally has a decent time having pretty in-depth conversations about fun stuff. And uh, I'll just thank the panel. Thank you, Mark and Jordan, for a great conversation. It's Dad's Night. It is right, Dad's yeah. Night. Dad's Night out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like a Dad's Night, we're going to wrap it up before 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, and we'll see you all on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve.
1: deserve Bob the Builder can we fix it
0: Yes. No (laughs) No, it's beyond our means. It's impossible. Oh